Amen. Thank you, Dan and choir instrumentalists for leading us in worship this morning. We're continuing today in our study of the book of John and John's gospel, chapter 14, beginning in verse 15 today. So if you have your copy of scripture there in front of you, I'd invite you to join me in turning to John chapter 14. John 14. Well, if you've ever been a parent, you'll resonate with the experience that toddlers possess several certain special skills, powers, if you want to call them that. You know, they they have that ability to hear the thing you didn't want them to hear you say and to not hear the thing that you're screaming at them. They have the ability to destroy an entire house with a single granola bar. And they seem to have an uncanny ability to know when you're about to leave, don't they? When my oldest, our son, was about one, he began showing this every time we went to church. See, as a, as a pastor, we were there every time the doors were open and the preschool hallway of this church was just off the main corridor that you, we entered every time we went in the building. It had its own big, brightly colored entrance and off of this long, wide hallway and With enough visits to the church, sometimes he was headed that way, sometimes he wasn't. And so as we would enter the building, as we got closer and closer to that big colored doorway, his grip on whatever parent was holding him got tighter and tighter. He would squeeze real tight as we walked by that door. And if he he wasn't going into the preschool ministry that day, as we walked by, he'd (sighs) breathe a sigh of relief. Ironically, he loved being in there, had a blast every time he was there, but the thought of being left He saw it coming. Children playing on the floor at home know the same thing, don't they? Maybe yours have learned the the jingle of the keys as you take them off the hook, or they see you grab your coat or put your shoes down on the floor, and they immediately know something's wrong. Something is happening. At, At our house, if dad's doing that, it's something along the lines of, oh, you're leaving. Have a good day. See you later. If mom's doing that, What's happening? Where is she going? Why is she leaving? Who's going to be with us? If you're both getting ready to leave the house, your children are are even more unsettled. And there's those three questions that go through every child's mind as their parents are putting on their shoes or grabbing their coat. They know exactly what's happening. You're not fooling them, no matter who's there to look after them while you're gone. Where are you going? Can we go? Who's going to stay with us? And that's the experience, in part, of John's gospel in chapter 14. See, Jesus' disciples have learned that he's going to be going away. John 14 begins what is for several chapters often called the farewell discourse. Jesus has started to, to share with his disciples that he's going away. Last week we heard from John chapter 13 at that last supper scene that Jesus was crawling around in the dirt and washing his disciples' feet. But he also began saying things that are raising concerns. The disciples, don't get me wrong, they're not as intuitive as toddlers. They don't pick up to the fact uh, that Jesus is having to go away and why. They're not in on the game. And so he has to be very explicit. He tells them in, in John 13, 33, little children, ironically, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
But then he clarifies in, in 1336, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. So the disciples are anxious. They've left everything they have behind for the last three years to follow this Jesus at every turn. And now he's talking about leaving, about them being without him. He's explaining to them that he's going to go to the Father. And so he tells them in chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he explains to them that he is the way and the truth and the life and has this intimate relationship with the Father. But he's going to leave, and he knows it, and they're starting to know it. And so John's gospel throughout the whole thing, and especially in this part, is concerned with answering this question, how can life go on for this young Christian community without Jesus? How will they survive his absence? And John's gospel offers an answer in our passage today. In John 14, 16, he tells them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And so consoling his students, this rabbi Jesus tells them that God will send them another comforter who will never leave them alone. And so the good news they receive is that the Father will provide them with this helper that will be with them forever, the spirit of truth, the very spirit of God, Jesus says, will abide with them and be in them when he leaves. But what is this spirit that Jesus leaves behind? Who is this helper that he promises to them? And and what does it mean for us? What is this helper going to help them with? Now, for centuries, Christians have understood that the God that we worship exists as one God and that we know this God to be a trinity, three persons in one, to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this has been reaffirmed again and again throughout the history of the church, that that God is one, but that God is also three. And so we, we understand God the Father. We kind of get that, that, that God is Father. And Jesus is, is a little bit easier to deal with. But you know, there's a lot of confusion about this spirit business, isn't there? This spirit's a little bit harder to nail down, to understand, to, to figure out. There's so many different opinions and uses and appeals to the spirit by different Christian groups. So much so that I think today we're confused about what to do with the helper that Jesus promises in John chapter 14. In fact, recent studies have shown uh, that seven out of 10 Americans, 70% of all Americans, not just Christians, agree that there is one true God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But only a quarter say that the Spirit is a divine being that is equal to the Father. Now, Christians haven't fared any better. A recent study by the Barner Group also showed that 38% strongly agreed and 20% somewhat agreed that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but not a living entity. More than half of Christians don't believe that the Spirit, according to that study, is a living entity. And so as we encounter Jesus talking about this helper that the Father will provide in his absence 
we are asking, or at least challenged to ask, who is this helper? And what might it mean for us, for you, for us all? You see, Jesus is consoling his disciples and preparing them because the absence of their teacher is going to be troubling for them. It's going to be a problem. And I'm sure the idea of losing Jesus has to be unsettling for them in in every way. But he tells them there's an answer, a solution to the problem. This helper that is coming. Now before we we look more closely at what this helper is and and, and how the, the biblical language maybe brings that to life for us, I wonder this morning if that's the answer to a question that you're even asking. Have, has your life needed a helper in the way that the disciples seem to right now? You see, I'm convinced that for a lot of people, even people who consider themselves Christians, there's a great confusion about God's spirit. And part of that is because the gospel that they have held on to doesn't need a spirit. In other words, Jesus' death or his, his life and death has become only about how I can get to heaven. And we ignore the fact that, that for Jesus, salvation, and certainly for Paul, is not just about the life to come, but about creating a spirit-filled community in the here and now. And if heaven is our only aim, then, then Jesus' absence isn't really a problem for us like it is for the disciples. They've been following this teacher who's showing them the way. And when he goes away, they're thinking, how will we know the way if there's no one to show us how to walk in it? And Jesus says, don't worry, another one is coming. But if we're not asking, how do we follow Jesus in his way? How do we know more about who Jesus is and what it means to walk and obey his commands? Then the answer to the problem that that Jesus offers here doesn't matter much to us, does it? But here's the problem. You see, Jesus begins this passage by showing us that those who love Jesus in verse 15, those who receive his life, are those who obey his word, who obey his commands, who do what he says. And if you think you're going to discover what it means to do what Jesus says, which in John's gospel is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, If you think you can do that apart from the power that Jesus offers us, I'm here to tell you that that's going to be a problem. You see, we know that that none of us have mastered what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves or to love God with our whole selves. So we join the disciples this morning in saying, where can we turn? Who is it that will show us the way And the answer that Jesus gives his disciples when they begin to learn that he's going away is that we've been given another helper. Now the word that Jesus uses for this spirit in verse 16 is the word, Greek word, paraclete. Some translations acknowledge that this is a a challenging, one-of-a-kind, unique word. It appears only five times in all of it in John's uh, literature. And, And sometimes they just translate it literally paraclete. Maybe your translation says advocate or helper or comforter or counselor or helper. Because of its rich meaning, it it gets uh, different English equivalents get chosen. Sometimes we just say paraclete, but, but all of these meanings seem to be wrapped up in this one word, that there will be a power, a spirit, the spirit of God, who will come to comfort and counsel 
Literally, the word means one who is called alongside. So the closest equivalent is probably, for our English language, advocate. In the secular Greek of Jesus' day, the word was used for a, a legal assistant who was like an advocate. And if so, if we translate it counselor, maybe it's best to understand it as a, as a legal counselor, one who comes to speak on our behalf, to defend and to advise someone to stand by you. This is the kind of helper that Jesus promises to those who place their faith in him. In 1973, a, a young law student was accepted into the University of Utah. He was accepted based on the strong recommendations of his psychology professors. His name was Ted Bundy, one of the most notorious serial killers of the 20th century. Bundy would later confess to the murder of dozens of women in the 60s and 70s in multiple states, so much so that, that, that the the number of crimes he committed remains completely unknown. The one-time law student who committed most of these crimes while he was attending the University of Utah served as his own lawyer in 1979 on trial for two murders and several assaults. And Polly Nelson, who was Bundy's last lawyer before he chose to defend himself, said in her book about representing him that Bundy sabotaged the entire defense effort out of spite, distrust, and grandiose delusion. She says Ted was facing murder charges with a possible death sentence, and all that mattered to him apparently was that he be in charge. Well, Jesus tells us, us who, who live in moments when he's not physically with us, that for those who have faith in him, there is a helper, a spirit who will abide with you and live in you. Literally, a, the paraclete is one who makes appeals on your behalf. And yet with the power of God himself available to us as a helper, we so often choose in utter foolishness to defend ourselves. It was Abraham Lincoln who, talking about the American justice system, once said that he who represents himself has a fool for a client. And the scriptures say that there's a power that will come alongside you in this life and will, will bear witness to and cast light on the way of Jesus for you. And yet, for so many, apparently, all that matters is that you be in charge. So it's no surprise that, that we ignore or downplay or remain confused about the spirit because the, the truth is life is a lot harder with that kind of help, isn't it? Maybe you've experienced this in life that sometimes there are projects or things that you want to accomplish that are easier done on your own, or at least so it seems. Sometimes adding people to the equation just makes things more difficult, doesn't it? Maybe they're people that can't help or don't know how to help or don't help in the right way or reach for the wrong tool or hand you the wrong thing. Among those other superpowers that toddlers have, one of mine seems to know exactly when the water hose turns on. 
Ours makes a strange little noise. No matter which faucet you use outside, you can hear it inside as the pressure comes up through the hose. And he loves to help water the plants. You know, the trouble is, when he's helping, we don't get a lot of plants watered. I mean, everything gets watered. Me, him, the driveway, the backyard, the house, the cars. The plants might get a little bit. Sometimes a helper makes things harder. And the Spirit doesn't come to make things harder, but it is more challenging to live with the conviction and the presence of God in our lives because it questions our control. It doesn't let us be in charge in the way that we would like to. And so sometimes I think we we push the Spirit to the side because if we are open to the Spirit, then we have to listen to what the Spirit has to say. And you know what happens when you listen to what the Spirit has to say? You might have to change. Your priorities might have to change. Your life might have to change. Looking ahead to verse 26, later on, John reminds us again what the role of this helper is. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says. He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And So when Jesus says they're going to have this paraclete, this spirit with them, notice he also says that it's going, he's going to ask the Father for another paraclete. It shows that that he himself has already been their helper and their advocate. In fact, in 1 John 2, 1, Jesus is depicted as the one who speaks in our defense. And the difference between the coming paraclete and, and Jesus, the departing one, is that the presence of the Holy Spirit will be with them forever. The Spirit won't ever leave them. And when he says another paraclete, we're also reminded that this this spirit who comes is not a different spirit than Jesus, but it's another of the same kind. And so the ministry that the spirit begins is the same ministry of Jesus. In fact, John always presents Jesus and this paraclete in tandem, together. And so just as Jesus is the truth at the beginning of John 14, the paraclete is the spirit of truth. And just as the world cannot accept Jesus, the world cannot accept this paraclete. The paraclete, just like Jesus, is the one who is sent, the one who witnesses, the one who speaks only what he hears, who declares the things to come. So Jesus and the Spirit are never at odds. The Spirit comes to to point to Jesus, to, to interpret Jesus for his disciples. You see, that's where I think a lot of people misunderstand the spirit we're really good at making the spirit's power about ourselves aren't we and for john this spirit is about jesus about continuing his presence and work in ministry on earth the spirit is jesus's continuing presence on earth and so it's for all those reasons that the first disciples and hearers of John's Gospels couldn't help but come to the conclusion that Jesus had not abandoned them. In fact, they would not be orphaned. Jesus says in, in 
Chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, this metaphor of family, of being orphaned, was part of the language this culture used to talk about a teacher who left their disciples. Jewish rabbis that were cut off or died, their disciples that were left behind were considered orphaned. In fact, ancient Greek literature tells us the same thing about the famous philosopher Socrates, who is best known through his disciple Plato, that when he died, his disciples were orphaned. They were cut off from a parent. And when Jesus is talking to these disciples who are concerned about him leaving, he tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. You see, there have been great teachers in history, and some of them have left a great legacy through their life or their example or their followers. Some of them have have been able to, to write volumes of teaching or thought to leave behind after they die. Today, technology even allows people to to video themselves, to leave behind viewable representations of their teaching. But none of them can leave more than that. And unlike every other teacher in all of history, Jesus leaves not only his example or his words, but his very spirit is given to those who follow him. Unlike any other teacher, his continuing presence, the presence of God will be alive in them. And so he will not leave them as fatherless children, abandoned as orphans, but he will come to them. As we hear Jesus say he will come to them, there's several suggestions on what that means, that that he will come to them. Interpreters go three different directions, argue for three different cases for what Jesus means when he says he will come to them first, that that he'll come in his resurrection, that he'll come back by being risen from the dead. The second is that he refers here to his second coming. Maybe he's referring to when he comes again in the future. The third case that's made is that the coming again refers to the descent and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we read about at the end in John 20 or in the beginning chapters of Acts. Now the verse seems, it seems most likely that Jesus is referring to his own resurrection appearances, that he will literally in this gospel appear again to these people, that after his death he will come back and make appearances. And so Jesus tells them, I will come back. He continues in verse 19, after a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Have you ever noticed that in his resurrection appearances in the Gospels, Jesus never appears to outsiders, to non-believers. In all of his appearances, he, he keeps showing back up to the people who already believed in him. Maybe the, the one exception you might argue is that he appears to Saul on, on that road. But Saul himself becomes a a disciple of Jesus. And so you can say it's true that Jesus only appears to disciples, assuring them of his presence and of his ministry. You see, the resurrection of Jesus changed things for them in so many ways. Not only did the disciples see that their rabbi is, is living again, but they now see themselves in light of all that this resurrection life represents. They know that at last, 
Jesus is going to be with the Father and he tells them, I am in my Father and you in me and I in you and, and they will know all of these things in that day. And he continues in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So what does it mean to love Jesus in this passage? Well, love is not just a feeling of affection. It's, it's a, about action. To love is, is to listen to the commands of Jesus and obey them. It's where he started in, in verse 15. It's where he continues and picks back up in, in verse 21. That to love Jesus is to be obedient to his commands. To do what he says. You see, Jesus never turns to our love for him just into, into an expression of, of our affections. In last week's sermon, we heard Jesus say that he would love his disciples to the very end in John 13, 1. We learned that the disciples would have a love for each other. And this inseparable link of our love for God and our love for each other becomes even more obvious in chapter 14 when Jesus says, by this, they'll know. If you love me, You'll do what I say. You'll obey my commands. You'll obey my word. And the greatest promise in this verse is that Jesus will reveal himself to the one who loves him. The more we walk in his way, the more we embrace what he says, the more we follow him, the more he will reveal himself to us. And this becomes the role of the helper, the spirit, the, the advocate, the paraclete who comes alongside and so in this passage, Jesus is offering comfort to troubled disciples. But you know, these are also words of great comfort for us today. Friends, he has not left you as orphans. His spirit will indwell his followers, he says, reminding them of, of all that Jesus has taught them. According to John, this struggling group of, of disciples have better days ahead. Did you catch the language there? Jesus is suggesting that those who come after he is gone are actually at an advantage. And sometimes I think we get caught up, especially with the life of Jesus, like we do in so many other life scenarios, saying things like, if only we had been there, right? I wonder if you, like me, have wondered, if, if only we could have been with Jesus or seen him ourselves. But you know, in this gospel, who is it that Jesus says, is blessed. In the episode with Thomas at the end of the gospel, Jesus reiterates it again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And just prior to this passage, Jesus says, after I'm gone, a spirit will come and you will be able to do even greater things. You see, according to Jesus in John's gospel, those who come after Jesus, who receive this helper, are at an advantage the disciples see a clouded view. They don't understand who Jesus is. They're confused about what's going on here. But when the helper, the spirit, the paraclete comes, these things will become more clear. The presence of God will interpret, will explain, will help them to understand. And he helps us too. 
You see, the Spirit of God is available to you to know and experience Jesus in more and more ways. And so we know the Christian experience not as arriving somewhere, but as journeying along by God's Spirit further and further. We're not left as orphans. You know, maybe no one understands better what it's like to experience Jesus' absence like the disciples did than someone who's lost a parent. In January 2011, Army First Lieutenant Demetrius Friesen left his first com- for his first combat tour in Afghanistan. And only a few months later, his life was taken by a roadside bomb. His son, Chris, had been born just before he left. He lives now in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, and is about nine years old. In this handwritten note, he writes to his dad, who's no longer with him. Hey, Daddy, I'm missing you a whole lot. I wonder what kind of things that we would be doing and what kind of adventures we would be having if you were here. I wish, I, could see, I wish you could see me play soccer. Mom gets to watch me. She says you have the best seat in the house from heaven, but I would rather have you here. I wish we could play video games and catch together. I also wish you could read me more bedtime stories. I love you very much. Love, Chris. You see, in the absence of his father, Chris is left to wonder what they might be doing together if his father were here. Friends, Jesus, the paraclete, God's very spirit is here. In Chris's words, I wonder what kind of things we would be doing, what kind of adventures we would be having if we believed that. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in prayer, inviting you to make us open to your spirit. Help us to receive the advocate, the one who comes alongside us that you send to be with us. God, we pray that we would be open to your spirit to move in us, to transform us, to teach us in new ways. We invite you to do that even today. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.